to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Wednesday, August 19th. As many of you listeners of this Mini Break podcast will know, we love to use this platform to amplify all sorts of voices from throughout the tennis world. Now, of course, on our Cracked Rackets team, that means giving people like Vicky Duvall, Jamie McDonald, Matt Stokowiak, Kale Hammond, so many others, the opportunity to come on to our podcast, right, share their opinion and What's so fun about watching the game of tennis being a part of the tennis community is it's an individual sport, and as such, no two people are going to see the game exactly the same. Everyone's going to have their own take on whether they enjoy a player's ground strokes or not, what they think of that player's tactics during a match, and that's what makes, again, being a tennis fan so much fun is having those sorts of conversations, agreeing uh, in certain areas, disagreeing in others, the spirited debate that follows. It's, again, what makes the tennis community so special. But of course, again, here at Cracked Rackets, we want to use our platform to amplify all sorts of different voices. That's why we are always so thrilled when we have guests from across the tennis community, right? People at the junior level, college level, professional level, players, coaches, members of the media, of various perspectives from throughout the tennis world. We try to hear from them all. Uh, but of course, we also here at Crack Rackets continue to try and grow our team. And some of you might remember, feels like a lifetime ago, but it really wasn't that many months ago. Uh, we brought on another group of CR interns to, again, help expand our Crack Rackets team to offer a voice, a platform to so many young, enthusiastic tennis fans because there's often this bad rap, right? Tennis is a sport for the old. It's old-fashioned. It's conservative. It's just, it's not youthful at all. That's just not true. There is a huge community of young tennis players across the world, and in particular uh, you know, here, obviously, in in the U.S. here, where we are working with at Crack Rackets, who love uh, the sport of tennis, who want to analyze it, who want to talk about it, who want to make it as fun as they perceive every other sport out there. And that's why we're really excited to announce this new show here on the mini break. Two of our interns, Alex Russian, Clark Cummings, have been working really hard to put together a show that they believe in and a show that we are ready, I suppose, to show to you listeners as well. And it's going to be called Double or Nothing. And it's going to be different than our other shows. You know, I like to focus on the analytics. I like to focus on the day-to-day happenings. Of course, we have our fun within those podcasts. But these these guys are just a little bit laid back. They're having a lot of fun with the sport of tennis. They're talking about things like gambling and I mean, it's going to go all sorts of different directions, folks, but I will say this. It's very interesting. It's very funny. You're going to love the work of Alex and Clark. And obviously, look, first two podcast episodes of any time you're doing anything the first two times, it's not going to be what you expect. You know, it's going to be different uh, than maybe you uh, pictured it, but it's really, really fun. And to do this in the first two episodes, we're really excited about where it's going to go from here. And maybe you listened to the first episode already in this second episode, Clark and and Alex have on Guy Fritz, who some of you may know, of course, for his relationship with a young American by the name of Taylor Fritz. Of course, Guy, his former coach, his father as well. So uh, it's a really fun episode for them. They are obviously getting excited for all of the action in New York as well. So I just wanted to do a little bit of an intro, let you know what you guys were about to be getting into. Again, it's really fun. We're so excited for our two interns to see where this goes, uh, you know, and let us know your thoughts as well, because I'm sure they are hungry to hear any feedback they can, how they can improve the show, what you guys liked, what you guys want to hear more of, etc., etc. Of course, the reason we are able to do things like this, take chances, offer this sort of platform for others, is because of the support we get from our sponsors here at Cracked Rackets, and you know the deal. At Cracked Rackets, what do we try to do? We try to look good, we try to feel good, so that we can go out on the court and play good, and that's where our friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar come in, right? Because with Midwest Sports, you're going to look good. They've got any piece of tennis equipment you could want. Shirts, shoes, shorts, socks, rackets, strings, grips, grommets, you name it, they've got it. They've got all of the brands as well from the racket perspective. Babolat, Head, Wilson, Yonix, Dunlop, uh, of course, from the apparel selected. All of those, plus Adidas, plus Nike, plus New Balance. Again, they've got all anything you could want from a tennis item perspective. And best of all, maybe you don't know exactly what you need. Maybe 
maybe you're in the midst of puberty and you're, you know, it happens to all of us. That shoe goes from a size 8 to a size 12 or whatever it may be. The shorts just don't fit like they once did. Or maybe these past five months you've just reinvented yourself, rededicated yourself to stay-at-home fitness and now your shirt size too big. You just need to update your catalog. Well, rest assured, the staff at Midwest Sports intimately familiar with all tennis equipment and can help you find that perfect racket, perfect shoe, or perfect tennis clothing that is sure to put you ahead of the competition. Just go to MidwestSports.com. Use our promo code CR15. You'll get 15% off your uh, order. You'll also get free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. And of course, best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls Midwest Sports wanting to ensure you have everything you need to make your return to the court a successful one. So go to MidwestSports.com. Use that promo code CR15. Of course, now you're going to look good. How do you feel good? Well, you take care of your nutrition. You ensure you're putting the right sorts of things in your body to get the maximum performance on the court. That's where our friends at Aerobar come in as they offer the only tennis-specific energy bar in the business, more potassium than a banana, delicious cinnamon, honey, oat, and chocolate chip flavor. And again, folks, it is exceptional. So uh, trust our friends to Aerobar. It tastes delicious. It's always going to get the job done. You can use our promo code CRACKED15 to get 15% off your order as well. Of course, I implore you to go listen to our episodes of Getting to the Point. We've had so many great guests on the show with our friends at Aerobar where we focus on the importance of nutrition and health. But it's guests like Malvia Washington, the former Wimbledon finalist slash University of Michigan All-American, people like Bjorn Fertangelo, Jay Berger, Michael Russell, Lauren Embry, so many more. You can listen to all of those episodes on the Mini Break podcast feed every Thursday. And of course, again, go support our friends at Aerobar by going to aerobar.com and using our promo code CRACKED15. One more thing before we get to today's episode of Double or Nothing. Obviously, we are well aware New York is on the horizon. Western and Southern Open followed by the U.S. Open. You know, hundreds of our favorite pro men and women, you know, uh, coming to New York to compete in these two events. Uh, Obviously, there's a lot of action for all of us to be caught up on, for all of us to get ready for. And so I will remind all of you, if you want to be caught up on the action, go check out all of our podcasts. This one, the Great Shot Podcast, Cracked Interview Podcast, Inside Out Podcast. Go check out the articles on our website, Luke Moorhead, Vance Vermani, uh, two of our other interns really putting in some great work, uh, producing some great content that you can go check out. And of course, we've just got a lot of fun things planned throughout our content, you know, on our YouTube channel as well. So you don't want to miss any of the action. Just set that homepage to crackedrackets.com for the duration of this three-week New York stay. But with that in mind, you came here to hear a new episode. So without further ado, let's get to episode number two of Double or Nothing with Clark Cummings, Alex Russian, and their guest today, Guy Fritz. Good afternoon, guys. We are pleased to introduce our inaugural guest joining us today on the Double or Nothing podcast. Our guest is a top junior coach who has helped guide over 300 junior players to the college ranks, the U.S. Development Coach of the Year in 2016, and a former professional tennis player and now has a son that has reached as high as 24 in the world. And he's also a good friend of our co-host, Alex Russian. Alex, Guy, how are you guys doing today? Hey, we're doing great. Doing good. Just played a nice round of golf. And uh, yeah, aside from just coaching tons and tons of juniors, uh, Guy also developed Coco into what she is today. Took her from scratch to what she is now. And uh, it's been helping me out too this summer. And uh, yeah, aside from being a great coach, he's also, you know, quote unquote, I guess, a great guy. So uh, excited to be doing this. Guy, I know we talked about this earlier, but uh, just tell our viewers how of a golfer Alex is. Well, he's just trying to learn the game. He's got a lot of power. He's actually not that far off from being decent, but he's got a couple more thousand balls to hit. But we, we, we both were bad today. But we, there was a couple guys playing was that, that could play well. So they're still betting, and we still got action going. Yeah, got action going as always. I think guys being nice just because I'm sitting next to him right now. But uh, now nah, it was still fun to get out there and stuff and hit some balls with the boys for sure, as always. How about you? How are you doing, Clark? 
Good. Just uh, actually got our first rainy day here in the Hamptons, so enjoying my uh, first day off in two months, and uh, was always looking forward to sitting down with you guys and talking, and especially with Guy and your uh, your distinguished resume. But Guy, uh, got to ask you a few questions. What have you been up to the past few months? I know with all this crazy shit going on with COVID nineteen, what uh, what's your your day been looking at looking like for the past few months? Well, I keep thinking that. Uh you know, I was going to go travel with Taylor and everything. I was going to go to team tennis, but they had everybody quarantined. And uh, so I, I didn't do that. So, it, you know, it's like everybody else. We don't know from day to day, week to week, what to do. And uh, Taylor left today for the U.S. Open. They're going to be uh, tonight. They're going to check them. They're going to take the test. And then they still have to stay in the room for another 24 hours after that. It's going to be very interesting Uh uh, you know, they're really doing a good job of trying to keep this COVID down because if something happens in this first tournament in Cincinnati, they'll just shut the U.S. Open down. So I'm praying that this won't happen. You know. Yeah, I'm actually uh, one of the members here, Sam Query and John Isner on the same street as me. And I think they're here till Friday and then they go up. And it sounds like there's a little bit of a looser uh, housing situation with uh, the Western and Southern Open, but once they start the U.S. Open, it sounds like they're they're in a hotel and, and trapped in the hotel if they don't, they're not playing. They're supposed to be in that Marriott that's by Hofstra University, and everybody's supposed to be there. And if okay. if you leave there, you're out. And if your partner that you're supposed to be splitting the rooms, if somebody gets it, then you're both out. So it's they're not fooling around with this. Hopefully uh, there's no defaults and no uh, no pop-ups of, of COVID. But I think, Guy, we're entering an uh, interesting time period for American tennis. Obviously there's no Federer, there's no Nadal, there's no uh, – I mean, Djokovic is playing, but I think there's 15 to 17 top 100 players on the men's side that aren't playing Cincinnati or the U.S. Open. So what uh, what do you think about the state of American tennis and what – for the next three weeks, what do we need to see from the Americans to kind of captivate the attention of a of a world, especially the United States that's kind of struggling right now? Um, so what, what can American tennis do to help right now? Well, I, I think that it's an exciting time because we've got five, six, maybe seven Americans that could uh, – could have a legitimate shot now because besides the guys you mentioned, while Rink is not playing, Curios is not playing, it makes that thing wide open. So I'm, I'm just excited. I hope the Americans realize what an opportunity they have here, and that's all it takes is one guy to go deep, you know, and have a shot at winning it. Uh, it'll just revive uh, everybody's interest in tennis. You know, and I just and I just want to say to our audience. As, as this podcast is sponsored by our uh, great partnership with DraftKings, the reason, other than Guy, uh, you know, just being a great tennis mind we're having on is because as long as I've known him, Guy has, uh, he's got gambling in his veins. He's uh, Las Vegas, born and bred, and so uh, I couldn't think of a more perfect guest to have on here. Um, you know, how did you get into that um, mindset and culture as far as growing up in Vegas and stuff? How was it presented to you? Well, my father was always in gambling. Uh, he was a casino manager. He was also second in command at the Hilton. It was the number one Hilton uh, hotel in Vegas when it was the number one gambling place in the world. So I just, I just loved it. I, no matter what it was, I liked to bet on it. Always have, and uh, I bet sports all my life. In fact, in high school, I used to go get the, the football cards from the bookie joints and I'd pass them out when I was in high school. So I, I've been, been at it for a while. <laughs> so guy, what is, what's your uh, favorite betting memory or your uh, favorite betting moment that you've kind of uh, cashed big in? Well, there's been a lot of, but one of them I can remember is what I bet on myself. I played the Mexican junior champion at his club with his linesman and his umpires, three out of five sets on clay and uh, back in the 70s, we played for a couple thousand dollars. That was pretty. That was a lot of money back there. If we go back to American tennis really quickly, what do you think, um, if you kind of set an over-under, I mean, now that we're talking about gambling and over-unders is a big thing in talking about gambling, what would your over-under be if you set a line uh, where American tennis on the male side 
when it wins a Grand Slam? Great question. Great, great question. So I say we've got six, seven, possibly eight guys that could win a slam. Isner's right there, Query, Taylor, uh, Big Riley Opelka. So if you figure, I'm going to say four years because that's four slams. That's 16 shots with eight guys. That gives me about 48 shots. So I'm going to set the line at four years, over or under. You can shoot at that either way. I'll take the bets. Mine is uh, five and a half. You know what? That's a good line. That's a very good line. But I uh, I don't know. I think I mean, obviously, we all want it under, you know, big American tennis fans. And, yeah, I mean, your son is, I think, 24, 25 in the world right now, and we're rooting for him to, you know, go deep in the tournament. So we all w- wish it's under. But, I mean, with Djokovic, it's just hard to beat Djokovic right now, and especially uh, at the U.S. Open, I, I think, where he's been uh, pretty successful. No question about it. But with the guys that are out right now, that gives it a good shot. I mean, yes, Djokovic the uh, prohibitive favorite. But if something happens to him, this could be it right here. This is might be their best shot right here. Yeah, I mean, I think Djokovic is definitely going to be tough, especially at the U.S. Open. He's always played so well there. But um, just looking at the American guys, for sure, there's great opportunities with a lot of players not playing. As Guy said, I kind of do think that this is like Taylor's tournament. If he's going to do really well at a major, I think this is definitely one of his best shots is at the U.S. Open. I mean, as a, as a junior, you know, he took the title there. Um, and also he's been uh, playing some good tennis and in, in world team tennis. And I know that he's been like I've been talking to him. He's been practicing hard up at Carson um, the last few weeks. So I think he's uh, in the right state of mind. Uh, and I think it could be a great tournament for him. So I'm super excited, well, you know. We'll see what happens, but it could be great for all a bunch of Americans. And guys, I mean, we've talked about those seven guys, and I mean, they both have a pretty good pedigree. Uh, a few guys that I think uh, we've talked about before, Alex, and I've talked about is Brandon Nakashima and Jack Sock. I think both of them are going to be in the U.S. Open. So honestly, it'd be cool just to have at least you know four or five in the second week, but even you know a, a Sock or Nakashima win a round or two in the U.S. Open and kind of bring their energy and bring their that younger generation. I mean, Jack's obviously a little bit older, but Brandon's, I think, what, 18, 19 now? I, still, I, st- I think he's still 18. He could be 19, but that's a good name that you picked up, not because he's from our San Diego area. He's, he's that good. He uh, He's a dark horse. That's somebody that's uh, definitely going to win some matches. He's, he's going to win some matches for sure. It's Sock. He's the kind of guy that could go all the way if he ever would get himself in shape, but he just doesn't want to seem to get his nose to the grindstone because it's too bad. This is a great opportunity, but I just don't think he's going to be in shape. Yeah, I got a good – I bet on him to win the Dubs, that's for sure. I don't know about singles, though. <laughs> but he's I don't know who's, who's his partner going to be for doubles? Does he Has he announced it yet? I'm not sure, honestly, but him and Mike Bryan were tough. He needs Bob to get sick again. Yeah, yeah. nobody uh, – nobody, uh, doubts that he's he's probably the best doubles player in the world whoever he plays with he wins uh but i mean he was eight in the world not too long ago a couple years ago he should be right there uh in fact if he was in great shape playing well i i would love to take the under uh, off of four years but i i just i just don't think that uh he's going to have a shot to take a deep run because you've got to be in great shape yeah. For Brandon Nakashima, I guarantee you that kid is going to do some damage. We'll see. We'll see. And just uh, just a reminder to to both my guys, both my partners on here right now, Clark and Guy. We're going to be careful with Guy because of the insider stuff. You know, can't can't hurt Taylor. It's it's and it just goes to show another reason why uh, you know tennis is a little lame again because of all these like stupid rules. Like the same thing that Guy has not being able to bet on certain things or say certain things because of uh, his association with Taylor, just like my association being a college athlete, not being able to bet on shit, like uh, if it's also an NCAA, uh, uh, oh, sorry, NCAA sport. So we just, I mean, it just speaks again to the culture that we've uh, been talking about. That's just lacking. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, but Alex, I'm, well, I guess I'm, I'm out of the college athletics for right now, but I'll probably be joining yeah, that lucky. again in the spring, but guy, let's transition into the gambling side of professional sports. What are your thoughts on 
kind of the growing empire of betting within professional sports and even college athletics? Well, I've never uh, had a problem with it. Used to bet on college basketball. Uh, Love the over-unders. We, we, we beat them pretty good for a few years until they adjusted, uh, the bookies adjusted. But it, it, to me, the problem is every once in a while, uh, they, they'll get a kid that uh, lost some money and then they'll use him to shave points with. So you got to look at that side. But to me, uh, you know, I, I've always thought it, uh, you know, it was like a, another sport in itself that you could gamble on things that made things more interesting. Uh, I don't even know my status right now because I am not listed as a coach. So why could he, why would anybody say anything to me if I bet on something, you know, bet on a, a tennis match? I know I can bet on anything else. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Uh, uh, it's, 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 it's recreation. They're doing it all over the world. They're betting on everything. Uh, they bet a lot of money on certain things. They're, they're worried in tennis that and they've suspended a lot of people for throwing matches and that's that's uh that's real and that's something they they do have to worry about that's that's what i've said is like the number one problem with tennis and that's why i think we have just this ugly stigma around gambling because i mean for a guy that's in a future that's around 700 in the world he can make more money betting on himself to lose than winning the tournament and that gives him three more weeks of travel so just the system's a little like broken in in that way and that's why we got to this point but um you know if we find a way to give those players a little bit more money then they won't need to make those choices and then uh you know it can be a better place for everyone where everyone can gamble uh, happily well i feel like they shouldn't i feel like they should not be putting lines on these uh fifteen thousand dollar tournaments and these twenty five thousands i mean at least, at least make it a legitimate challenger uh, to put up a line because it's just tempting. It just tempts these kids that know they're not going to make anything to to try to rig the system, you know. Yeah, and uh, I and speaking, I mean about that stuff, and I know Alex and I in our first episode talked about what we could, what we'd like to change in tennis and stuff like that. What are some changes you would like to see in tennis? And it, I mean, even if they're specifically about betting and tennis, we'd like to hear those too. But just overall, what, what would you like to see be changed in the sport? Well, I'd like it to be a little more like golf, where the guy that's 300 in the world is making a great living, where the guy that's 300 in the world in tennis, he uh, he's worried about you know catching a bus to the next tournament. There should be more money. Uh, drifted down to the first, second round losers and stuff. It's there. They could do it. It's very easy. Uh, that's one thing I'd like to see. Uh, schedules are pretty tight. They're played almost all year long, which back in my day we played nine months and there was three months off. But there's just so much demand for these tournaments. These uh, They, they want to put up the money and people want to play. So I don't know if they're going to change any of that. And... Uh... I actually talked to J.C. Aragoni about a few weeks ago about that, and I think we looked at the numbers, and the golf, if you're looking at 111 in the world, the golf guy in 2016 was making about $1.1 million, and then the guy in tennis was making about one hundred fifty grand. So it's just a huge, huge drop-off, and then the number only drops off after that probably the you know, the 350th player in the world right now is making, what, 40 to 50 grand? I mean, yeah. yeah it depends on how many weeks a year they're playing and uh, so forth. There's a lot of little variables, but that's about right. There's so much stuff in golf that's, like, better than tennis, and that's, like, one of them. Like, just for example, today, what we were doing, um, talking about, like, side bets and everything like that when we were playing, you know, um, you could bet hole to hole, all that sort of stuff, and it just doesn't, it doesn't exist in tennis, and I wish it was almost like re- more recreational as well. Like Guy, um, since I've known him, he's always uh, you know made a bet with uh, on a kid that he coaches versus um, you know another kid with with a dude's dad or something like that, and do uh, do some bets like that. Like even with Taylor, like you want to talk about some of those? Well, when Taylor was growing up, uh, you know, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, we always had bets here and there with the local pros and so forth. To me. This is what I tried to explain to the parents. He said, oh, you're betting on this. I said, look, 
you're paying a 60 70 80 90 dollar entry fee you're taking your kid all the way up to la and he might not even get a good match i said here you're getting a good match and you might have a chance to win it what's what's wrong with that because you're simulating the same pressure that's what it's all about if they can't play with this pressure and uh, they don't need to be playing on the pro tour so that's all i did it was all in fun we weren't betting you know any ten thousand twenty thousand dollar figures a few hundred here and there and uh it, it was a lot of fun that's how i look at it it was good to watch you had uh you had different types of matches you had matches with other kids and then you had uh you know older guys that would be like yeah i'd never lose to a 12 year old and then here comes sailor and buster you know some funny stuff obviously universal tennis training system has become pretty popular around the world and a lot of people are using it. I think really the whole world is using using it now. Do you see this kind of rating system as like a hidden tool to help predict matches in a way for people almost to make money in, in betting on tennis? And then also, you know, I guess that could add to the pressure. You know, obviously if you go to a, say, a L3 tournament in, in California and you're driving three hours away and you go get double bageled, uh, the first time and then lose six one six three. Obviously, there's no competitiveness. So I think we're trying to. I mean, as three of us, we want to help grow the sport of tennis, but we also want to help find at an early age these these young kids to have some competitive matches where they fall in love with tennis and not just go out and get double bagel right from the beginning. Right. They've had what's called block seating where. Uh, you get a certain guys with a, a lesser ranking. Uh, they have to play that first weekend. They play down to maybe 16 or 8, and they come against the better players. We've had that off and on. Uh, the French system is the best in the world. I've been playing in money tournaments in France where I start out in the quarterfinals because of my ranking. I didn't have to start out in the 128 draw and beat some guy 0-0, 0-0, so he didn't get anything out of it. So I started in the quarterfinals or the round of 16. I like that system. As far as the UTR goes, it's the best thing so far. It's uh, pretty accurate. I don't know if anybody's going to be able to take advantage of that as far as betting because the bookies all know the UTRs, and they go a couple steps further than that. They know who's in shape, who's been playing, who's injured, who's not. Uh, But it would at least give the average better – uh, if he sees a guy 15-3 and another guy 15-4 or 15-2, he'd know that they would be pretty competitive. But it is a good system. All the college coaches are using it, and I think it's going to get better. It's it's very, very, very close now. It's it's a good system. Definitely works, and we were talking about that and you know, with Ben the other day, Ben Golan, who plays at Columbia, just how the French system is much better. And me and Taylor always talked about when we were kids that playing these designated tournaments, how we always hated going the first weekend because it was just a waste of time. We had to wait till the next week to, to play a real match, honestly. So I'm glad it's getting there. Yeah, and I think at the end of the day, if we can just improve tennis and bring more people into our sport and show how fun, uh, especially college tennis is, and get more kids uh, all over the all over the United States to play and to uh, – to be attracted to watching tennis. And then I guess, you know, the, the gamblers that always bet on basketball and football and baseball and hockey to kind of come our side a little more, maybe that will uh, produce a little more revenue for, uh, for, for tennis in general. Well, yeah, guy, wouldn't you think, what would you say to the average gambler who doesn't have much knowledge on sports, but he likes gambling on sports? Do you think tennis is a place where by doing research and stuff, he could really make a good amount of money in? I'll tell you what, I thought so, but I started looking at the lines of the spreads where if you're betting a baseball game, you might be working off a five-cent line or a ten-cent line, but the spreads in tennis are quite a bit. So it's not easy. Even if you have really good knowledge, uh, it's tough. It really is tough. Uh, I don't think anything's easy anymore as far as gambling. uh, The bookies aren't going to give anybody away. Do you like rolling the dice more, or do you like to play it? you know, go for that more of that sure thing. How's, how's your mind work? Well, I'm always looking for an edge at anything I bet on. Uh, uh, always looking at, at the spreads and uh, see, see the guy's track record. Is he playing well? Is he not playing well? Uh, ten, tennis is, is fairly true. I mean, if a guy's a better player, he will win the match most of the time. 
but there's been a lot of upsets lately, and so now it's there's a little more parity than they had before. But I can tell you, it's not easy because I've I've seen some friends of mine try it. They thought they knew tennis, and they oh well, we'll all I'll win these matches. Uh, I'll give you an example. One guy got stuck a few hundred dollars, and he sees where Isner beats Taylor a few years ago, first round at Wimbledon, and now he's playing Duty Sella, who has always been the top hunter, but he's not known. I mean, you would think he has no chance to beat a guy like John Isner. He was five and a half to one dog. So this friend of mine thought he was going to get even, and he he bet about ten grand on Isner, and Duty see the baby beat him five and a, five and a half to one dog at Wimbledon. So you, you never know. You never know. It's tough. I, I honestly think you know to be almost sure of yourself in tennis, it's to uh, kind of bet on their first and second round matches of the top. You know, I guess if you do the fifteen seeds and just parlay it, almost that's like the only way you could possibly make some. Uh, good money because there's so much parity in, in tennis nowadays. And, you know, it's, it's so close from 50 to a hundred. I obviously, you know, the top 10 is, has kind of made their mark in the big four during their era it was hard to beat. And anyone that could, I mean, really no one could get by them in a grand slam. So obviously it's just hard to uh, put money down and feel sure of yourself when you're betting on professional tennis, that's for sure. You, you, you brought up a very good point. As far as Wimbledon goes, those first couple of rounds, you look at, uh, okay, is he playing a guy that plays on grass? There's a couple of those Spanish guys that just show up to collect their 50,000 first round yeah. loser. They have no intention of winning a match. So in the early rounds, you can get a little more of what we say a lock uh, than any other time that I know of. So that is a good time what you brought up. Uh, in those first few rounds. But after that, uh, now if you're going to stay away from betting on, let's say, Djokovic, Nadal, Federer, because the price is so high, it's it, it's not unusual for a guy 95, 96, 100 in the world to beat a guy, you know, that's 15 or 20. It, it's just, it happens all the time. So you got to be careful if you're giving up, you know, four or five to one, all you need is one, one bet. Uh, beat there and you know, how you're going to get your money back pretty tough so uh, obviously we can't uh you know dive into the guy's side as much but if you were to uh if you were a betting man for the u.s open on the female side who would you look at and uh what do you think some of the you know storylines would be to help uh, obviously you know the goal here of having the u.s open is to inspire some people and kind of lift some people up, obviously, that have been going through some tough times. So, obviously, we want an American to win, no doubt about it. But what do you think uh, are some storylines and maybe some people or favorites or dark horses to, to win it all? Well, I give, uh, I give uh, Sophia Kennan, who is on Taylor's World Team Tennis, I give her a real good shot. I think that She's got a real good shot to win it. Uh, she was in the finals of the Australian Open. She's young. She's fearless. Uh, but I tell you what, girls is wide open. I'd hate to have to uh, have to make a decision on uh, the girls. The girls. The whole girls thing is wide open. Whoever gets the hot hand, there's several of them that can win it. But I, I like Sophie the best. Sophie's good guy. I think uh, on the female side, I think it'd be interesting to see Coco do something. But uh, I do, th I mean, obviously, you know, lover or hater, people are people are tuning into Serena on the second week. So I think for the audience right now and for the ratings of the TV, it'd be important for Serena to be to be in there late, you know, in that tournament. Oh, I think she will be. Uh, I, I think she'll be there. Now, are we talking about Coco Groff or Coco Vandeweghe? Coco Groff. I mean. Okay, the girl that I developed since she's nine years old is Coco Vandeweghe. She got to the yeah, top yeah. ten. Two years ago, she won the doubles, but she's had a bunch of injuries since then. It's too bad she's not ready to go because she's a she's a threat too. She got a big game. Yeah, she has a very big game. Is she is she not playing at all? Uh, she played some team tennis and did very well, but I don't think she's she's a little bit like Sock. I don't think she's ready to play. Match after match. So far in the last year and a half, she has not been able to really 
play two good matches in a row. She's so, there's some kind of nerve damage in her. Oh, by the way, wait a minute. I should have said this. I just found out she sliced up her finger. She's out of tennis oh. for at least two two months. So she, Coco Vandeweghe is out. And that sucks. Coco is someone we know. I mean, you know well because you coach her. You've developed her. And, like, I know good just being around the club and stuff like that and seeing her and stuff. I remember she spanked me in a set one time when I was, like, 14. That was tough on the ego. But Coco is a good girl. What – um. Aside from college hoops, though, what are some of your – and tennis, what are some of your other uh, sports you're interested in and, like, what sports do you like to bet on as well if you do? Well, the only sports where I thought we could do some damage was college basketball. Back in the old days – The they, brackets are fun, huh? They just didn't have that many great players, you know. They didn't have a, a guy on the bench that could come in and fill in, so – it was a lot easier to handicap that. We knew where places like the pit, New Mexico, where they played better and so forth. So we had a good we had a good feeling with that. And then college football was a lot of fun. Uh, we, we seemed to be able to beat them earlier in the season. Then we could do well in all the bowl games. Now they've got a lot of bowl games, which is great. Uh, pro football, if somebody's telling you they can beat pro football year after year, I'd like to meet them. But... Uh, <laughs> We would do pretty good in pro over-unders with the, with the basketball. Other than that, uh, baseball, we never did too much. Hockey, never really understood it that much. So we just kind of kept it to to those few things to try to. Yeah, I think I think that's cool. Like I think the, the football college and NFL is so tough just because there's so much parity. Honestly, anybody can beat anybody on the day, and that's what's hard about it. But us being in San Diego, and unfortunately because of COVID, this year it got canceled and we didn't have it. But we got the races every summer. Opening day is like my favorite day of the whole year. you have any uh, fun times at the races, betting on the ponies? Oh, I have a lot of fun there. But uh, my dad explained something to me at an early age. He said, hey, let's say there's 100,000 bet on a race. He said they reach in and take anywhere from 16 to 18% off of that, and then that's when they make the odds. So how are you going to beat that? So unless you know a jockey or a trainer or owner or something, good luck to you in that sport. Yeah, so that's that's definitely tough for sure. Clark, you ever get in the horse racing ever? I have not yet, but we have a, uh, a track here in Virginia near my house that uh, that's pretty popular, but I've, I haven't gone yet, but... That's something I'd like to do in the future, and I'd always love to uh, spend some time at Kentucky Derby at least once or twice. That would be a pretty pretty cool thing to go to. That would. And uh, how about how about some of the – what's the funniest or maybe most interesting you bet on, thing you bet on that didn't have to do with money, so where you were putting something else on the line? So this could probably be more personal, but what's something like that? You know, it's funny. A lot of uh, younger guys do that. You know, they'll they'll make a bet like that. I didn't. It was either, hey, put your money up, but let's let's see who's right or wrong. Is is the way I like to do it. <laughs> so at Auburn, we did something pretty funny, and the coaches didn't know this. So uh, you know, we can't get in trouble. But this is probably my worst one ever. And uh, we had a rule where if you lost a six zero set, you had to take a piss shot. So uh, so one day, you know, I kind of partied the night before. You know, showed up to practice, not in the best state ever, and I got I got wiped out by one of our guys and uh, lost 6-0, and I had to take a piss shot. Let me tell you, that was definitely the last last piss shot I took in my time at Auburn. Hey, that's Very good gross. though. So if you're if you're down if you're down five zero with thirty all, you're fighting your ass off just to yeah, uh, exactly. win one game. That might be good for uh, that might be uh, you might need to implement that more in more uh, matches around uh, if you're become a college tennis coach i think that'd be uh, should be appropriate <laughs> yeah i don't know if compliance would like that but definitely another way to put the pressure on one sure. of uh one of my best kind of hustles was when i was going through college i was always broke i would give players 40 love on their serve so they thought well there's no way they could lose their serve but they didn't realize i served really well they didn't realize they weren't going to break me and it's really not that hard to break a guy from 40 love if you got a little edge on them. But even if they did hold serve to the tiebreaker, I never told them when they got any spot in the tiebreaker. So it was it was too bad by the time they got the tiebreaker. Oh, wait, I don't have a spot anymore. How am I going to beat this guy even from the tiebreaker? So 
I never lost that bet, by the way. Yeah, that's a good one. You know, you got to hustle the kids. I want to do what would be funny, in my opinion, is to do like a Uncle Drew, like Kyrie Irving type thing, you know, where uh, he kind of dressed up as an old man and then went to like a rec center and just balled people up. I think that would be a pretty funny one to do for sure. So we, we don't have to go into details on this one, but um, talk to me about, you know, maybe one of your best gambling days and uh, one of your worst gambling days. Well, one of my best gambling days is we hit uh, eight straight bowl games, and our ninth was Nebraska against LSU, and I can't even remember which side I had, but the side I had was getting 10 points, and we were up a touchdown, and we were two yards away from going in and supposedly going to the halftime 14 to nothing up with the 10 points line and uh, they fumbled the ball the two yard line and with a minute left the other team took it down and scored and I think my team got beat about 42 to 7 10 or something like that I mean it was I had another one where I was getting six and a half points in a college basketball and I, I want to think it was Seton Hall and somebody this is I'm going back 30 years but or more uh, our team had the ball, and uh, they don't have to shoot or anything. It's just a few seconds left, and we, we've got a two-point lead. Somehow the guy dribbles it off his foot, and the other team goes down and scores. We go into overtime. Now, in the first overtime, our best player fouls out, and uh, then the other team has the lead, and I don't care who wins. I'm getting six and a half points, and then our team hits some crazy shot at the buzzer, and we go – into another overtime, so then our next best player fouls out, and we wind up losing straight up by about nine. So I can remember that one. That's funny. And you know you know what I love about that, which is so awesome? This is what's so great about gambling, you know, and everything in moderation and stuff, but this is just good fun. Like, this is something that happened 30 years ago, and you still, you know, you remember it now, and that's, that's hilarious. That's awesome. Well, we were betting a lot of money back then. We were just trying to win six out of ten bets, so if you bet a 1,000 a a game, you're trying to win six, you lose four, so you lose the juice, so you lose 4,400, so you're really, your net gain is only 1,600, and you've exposed 10,000 plus the juice, so you better be pretty good at what you're doing to beat these guys, they know what they're doing. That's awesome. One of the last things for me, uh, moving away just from sports uh, and going back to Vegas a little bit, uh, What uh, were you ever a casino guy? Any things you liked in there? Any games you enjoyed playing? Well, I like blackjack. I learned how to uh, count the cards. And uh, back in those days, they would deal the cards right down to the end. So you could get quite an advantage. Uh, my father was one of the best in the world at it. He uh, co-wrote a book called uh, Playing Blackjack as a Business. Uh, it was Spec Parsons was the guy's pen name. But I actually proofread that book when I was about 17. It was the leading gambling book for seven or eight years. They went all around the world and made money playing blackjack. Because back in those days, the casinos didn't realize that you could beat them if you could count the cards. So I enjoyed that quite a bit. Yeah, all the good old days. No, that's that's awesome. Yeah, I feel like also just before the internet, before all this technology and everything like that, you know, it was way easier back in the day and just more fun. Times Times were better. What about just, you know, being on tour and stuff like that, how how did how was that for you back in the day? You know, compared to now, we know what it's like now. But uh, I love hearing about uh, some of the old stories. You know, me like just like you did. We we had a close relationship with the great uh, Pancho Segura, and he would always tell us some awesome stories uh, that time. And it was just it was really nice to listen to. Well, that was one of the reasons I I got into gambling was to try to. I never had a sponsor, so I always tried to supplement my income by by playing poker or backgammon or betting on matches uh, against the other players. I enjoyed that a lot. To go back to Vegas, back in those days, we found uh, a pretty good edge on the bookies because they had two and sometimes three different lines would come out. So if we bet the Lakers over 208 for a total, and then we go down the street and the other casino had 218, we would bet it back the, back the other way. And uh, back under, but after one season, they they kind of all got together and 
we're putting out a solid line. And the other question about what was a bad beat was uh, it was an NCAA final game and they had the total up about 142. We felt that was high, so we just started betting uh, 500 at a pop and they would lower it down about a half a point every time we bet at the Stardust. And uh, then we watched it go down and down. And, uh, and then it went all the way down from 142 to about 133, which is a huge, huge move. So we thought the smart thing would be uh, to bet the over at 133 and see if we could middle it. And uh, it became a bad beat because it actually went below the 133. And if we just would have stuck with our original our original bet that it was going to be way under and, and not try to get too smart, we would we, we would have we would have made a lot of money. But you know that's that's gambling, you know. Yeah, and obviously you know you're rooting for the team that uh, you got some money on, but uh, taking gambling out of it, uh, Vegas sort of being a sp- uh, town that didn't really have any professional teams back then until now. The Raiders, like, what were uh, what were some of the teams you were a fan of? Well, the old running Rebels with Jerry Car- Tarkanian, we had uh, over 20 years, we had great seats, you know, season tickets, and uh, everybody in town loved those teams. It was That was a lot of fun. Uh, of course, you weren't allowed to bet on uh, on the home team in those days, but I'm sure the outside book is you could. I never tried to bet that, but I loved, uh, I loved that. That was really a lot of fun. Yeah, I was just talking about this before, about, like, personalities in tennis and how there were some great ones with, you know, Carolitis, Connors, even further back, Nastassi, and then like also McEnroe um, during, you know, the Connors era. Like there was just so many cool personalities and that's kind of what I miss. Like in other sports, like, you know, even the coaches like Pat Riley, like all those guys. And like, there was some cool personalities, you know, Showtime Lakers, Magic Johnson. Like, do you have any favorite players or coaches and stuff that you loved uh, watching? Well, that's a good point, but we, we need more personalities in there. We need, uh, we, we, we need people that, that are not real tennis players. A lot of times you get interested in, in, in tennis like the old days and the heyday, but uh, hopefully it's going to come back. It's healthy. There's a lot of players out there. We've got a whole bunch of new, new players coming up. They're going to be good, uh, but we do, we need some personalities. We need, uh, you know, Kyrgios, he's a, he's a personality, but he's, he gets a little too far one way, you know? So <laughs> I don't know. We, we, we need some announcers that are not afraid to say anything and give some opinions and some players uh, not giving all those vanilla answers all the time and, you know, step up to the plate and show people how interesting the game really is. Now, what really helped tennis was this team tennis. There was not much to watch. I'm getting calls from all over the United States saying, hey, wow, this team tennis is exciting. This is competitive. This is uh, this is great, you know, and uh, the guy that owns most of team tennis, his name is uh, Mr. Luddy. He wound up losing I'm going to say seven million for sure, just to just to you know just to put that on. And it they had a five hundred forty thousand dollar household watch, which compares favorably to the U.S. Open sometimes. So that helped. That like the World Team Tennis is great, and it's almost like kind of you know it would be really cool too what they have over in Europe and stuff, and you know Germany and all those things like uh, the Bundesliga and all that kind of stuff like. Uh, that tennis they play in the summer, that's a that's a really cool thing too, I think. Yeah, Guy, I think, uh, no, I, I couldn't agree with you more about the personality thing and, you know, being a fan of American tennis and being a, Mar- a huge fan of your son and, and those guys, the Opelkas, the guys that are coming up and, you know, kind of being the same age as them, you kind of need a little more personality. I mean, obviously Taylor is kind of a, a quiet guy, but the the word that Alex uh, used the other day was taboo. You know, we're we don't um, we don't have enough Connors. You know, we don't have enough of those weird guys that have some crazy personalities. You know, uh, and I think we tennis misses that a little bit, and that's what some people um, are interested in when they turn on the TV and Nick Kyrgios is playing. You know, they're interested in see what the hell is this guy going to do? Is he going to have an outburst? Is he going to what was yeah. what is he going to do? So I think. One part of missing on the American side is the personality side. I think Tommy Paul and Riley have good personalities, but uh, Alex and I both agree, and we've talked about this numerous times, we miss the behind-the-scenes 
side in tennis. You know, we see the behind the scenes here and there uh, with other sports, but, you know, you get them mic'd up and stuff like that. So I think one thing tennis needs to add in the next mm-hmm. few years or is to have a show the personalities, especially of the Americans, and hopefully that can attract fans to the sport. Tennis players used to be rock stars. I'd say as far as just on a, on a girl front, Elena Stassi was like the Wilt Chamberlain of tennis, you know? It was cool stuff. <laughs> but this, this Curios, he, he, I remember he, Taylor played with him out at Indian Wells, and they just packed it out because they want to come see the flash and the dash from this guy. He, he's, he can bring it. Razzle dazzle. It'd be really interesting to see. I mean, obviously, we're going to be able to see it, but it's going to be interesting to see if Curious will ever win a Grand Slam. He said the other day or a few weeks ago that he doesn't really give a shit about Grand Slams because you know it takes seven or eight matches to win one Grand Slam. But it'd be interesting to see. I mean, he's obviously got a lot of talent, but see if he can actually uh, uh, capture one and if he can even you know have the attention to, to be in a Grand Slam final. Yeah, no, he has the ability. He's probably the most talented player out there, no question about it. He does not like to grind, though. If he gets in a match where a guy's just making him hit a lot of balls, he does not want to do that match after match. He wants to go bang, bang, bang. That's why you'll see him on a big point. He'll just fire off a second serve ace. He does not want to sit out there and have to beat a guy with those 20-ball rallies. His mentality is not that. So that's why everybody thinks he's... He's just basically tanking, which he's done. He's, uh, he's given less than his best several times. And that's what the tennis people, uh, the powers to be, the spots and everything are upset about. But as far as the personality side, bringing stuff to the game, he, he does add a lot of excitement. And, and he could win a Grand Slam, no question about it, if he really put his mind to it. For sure he could. He's one of, he's one of my favorite players. I like I do. People forget, you know, because you're such a good coach, that you were a good tennis player, a great tennis player too back in the day. And a lot of people also don't know um, that your brother was a good tennis player as well. You guys ever have uh, some fun wins or some good times playing together? Oh, yeah. Anytime I won a doubles tournament with my brother, who was the seven-time national Canadian champion, and I'm going to throw something else in. He has a Davis Cup record for all you fans out there that can never be broken. He played 100 games in a Davis Cup match, and he won it, Canada against Venezuela. And uh, for your viewers out there, tell me why this record can never be broken. We'll see if you guys know anything about tennis out there. What uh, last question here before we have to uh, let you go? What does your son kind of think about? Uh, I mean, obviously, tennis is such an individual sport, and you know, college tennis and professional tennis are so different. What does Taylor think about you know Davis Cup and Labor Cup and is there maybe in the future does he have some interest in in more team tennis uh, activities and participating in those? Well, he was the youngest one to ever participate in team tennis. He loves team sports. He loves uh, the Labor Cup. Uh, any of those things, he loves those things, and I hope they keep continue to having these things. Now he's played. Davis Cup several times, and the sad thing about it is if you ever played Davis Cup X amount of years ago, you were a household name. That's all you saw, yeah, and that's all they showed on TV. Now they've relegated to this playing once, and then you make the, the final eight. And like when, when he beat the number eight player in the world from Italy, the match was on at 1.30 in the morning. There was about three or 400 people in the stands. That's not the way it, it should have been. Anytime they had Davis Cup before in the United States, they would pack it out. I don't care if it was Birmingham, Alabama, Portland, Oregon. They would pack it out. Remember La Jolla? Oh, yeah, La Jolla. Then they had, I guess, Chile and Palm Desert on grass. They packed it out. And it's just a shame. Here he comes along, and he embraces Davis Cup. He loves it. And they, he doesn't get any publicity from it. Nobody even knows that's going on sometimes. That's terrible. I'm really saddened about that. I think my favorite memory is, I don't want to mistake the year, but I want to say it was, when was the last time, whatever the last time the U.S. Uh, won the Davis Cup, I just remember that was kind of the highlight of my tennis, you know, watching tennis, because you see James Blake, Andy Roddick, and you see how much they enjoyed playing together. And obviously Blake and Roddick were kind of, you know, rivals here and there. And 
you know, the Bryans being so such a good doubles team. I I really missed that, and honestly, the ATP is kind of fucked up with the with the whole Davis Cup stuff nowadays because you know you can't you're going to be watching at three a.m. in the morning U.S. versus Denmark or U.S. for it versus Italy. It just it's it's not that popular, but I think what they did really well this year was the ATP Cup in January. I thought that was excellent, and uh, you could see how much of a, a joy it was for even the top players like Nadal and Djokovic. How fun it was to to compete on a you know their team in Australia right before the Australian Open, and I thought that was very successful. And if we could have three to four to five. Uh, strong team competitions a year that will make uh, tennis a lot more popular and appealing. Oh, I agree with you. I agree with you 100%. It was great, great drama, great theater. Tater put the North America side uh, ahead after he beat team, and, and if they won one of the next two matches, they were going to win the whole thing. And, you know, it's like another 100000 per player. Uh, they were set to go again in late September in Boston. They were sold out. But the French moved their time to that slot, so I don't know what's going to happen now. But, boy, I agree with you. That, that Labor Cup, I, I really enjoyed that. Labor Cup, Labor Cup was great. Um, my, my old coach at, at Auburn, uh, Bobby Reynolds, who, I mean, he's a, he's a fantastic guy and a good role model for me. He always talked about how much he liked these team competitions. And he, uh, he thought the future of tennis should be somewhat just like world team tennis. But over the course of the whole year, where like there's owners of teams, there's a draft, there's playoffs, make it more sort of like American sports. Uh, and it was that would be interesting. And like I think 2007, by the way, uh, Clark, was the year that we won it last. And I, I remember, I mean, Europe in recent last you know, 20, 30 years started started dominating a lot. But there was a time when... You know, it was uh, America and Australia, and we were the two powerhouses in the world of tennis. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's unfortunate, but I think uh, you know, obviously, in the next few years, there's going to be a, a lot of answers with uh, with tennis, and hopefully, team tennis will will be up there and it'll be pretty popular. But uh, guy, it's it's been a huge privilege to talk to you, and uh, Alex and I will be rooting on our. The tip of our chairs for uh, for Taylor this next few, well, three weeks I guess, starting the twenty second. So uh, I know all three of us are looking forward to seeing what happens with American tennis, and uh, hopefully these three weeks can be very beneficial and and captivate an audience that is kind of struggling right now with with what's going on in the world. Well, thanks for having me, and uh, a lot of great questions, uh, and I'm hoping. Uh, all the Americans come through. This is a time when this is their chance. We'll see who steps up. That's all. Yeah. At the end of the day, sports is uh, it's entertainment. It really is. And uh, along with entertainment, this was uh, this was very entertaining. And I just like you know from the bottom of my heart, guy. Thank you so much. It was it was a privilege having you on. I love uh, talking to you. And uh, thank you so much for making for making out the time for us. We're super super grateful, and it was so enjoyable and awesome uh, for our viewers to have someone like yourself who you know tells it how it is and uh, also has just so much uh, so much knowledge about about tennis and about life so honestly just thank you so much I, I appreciate it so much all right thank you Alex thank you guy we appreciate it Hope you enjoyed this episode of Double or Nothing, our new show brought to you by our two interns, Alex Rushing and Clark Cummings. Again, a huge shout out to Guy Fritz for coming onto the show and speaking with them. And obviously, if you liked what you heard, please let us know. It's a new show. We want to hear all the feedback we can. What did you enjoy? What would you like to hear more of? Maybe there's a segment you say, hey, they can leave that one on the table moving forward. Whatever it may be, we want to hear from you. So let us know what you think. Obviously, a huge shout out to Clark and Russian uh, for putting these first two episodes in the queue. And, you know, it's very easy to say, hey, we want to start a podcast. Hey, we want to do this. Hey, we want to do that. A lot more difficult to actually make it happen. So shout out to the both of them for getting the job done. 
Of course, for all of you fans out there eagerly awaiting the three-week stretch in New York, Western, and Southern, followed by the U.S. Open, rest assured we have it covered from every angle here at Cracked Rackets. You're looking for written content, go to the website, crackrackets.com. You want the video content, go subscribe to our YouTube channel, folks, because it is coming and, of course, we will be rocking and rolling on this podcast, the Great Shot Podcast, Cracked Interviews Podcast, throughout the duration of the three-week stay. So be sure to check out all of our content uh, throughout the week. And, of course, to all of you Patreon subscribers out there, a huge thank you goes out to you for your continued support. We wouldn't be able to do the breadth of things that we do without the support you all give us. Of course, we also have to give a huge thank you to both Midwest Sports and Aerobar for their continued support, as well as our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff, for the f*** of an editing job they do day in, day out. And again, please let us know what you think of these Double or Nothing episodes. We look forward to seeing what Russian and Clark are able to do with them. But with that in mind, again, for Alex Russian, Clark Cummings, their guest Guy Fritz, our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff, our friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar, and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say, folks. That's the break, and we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.